Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Rant and Grow. I'm Tulio Siragusa, and I'm joined today by Cynthia Kane. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thank, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. It's a pleasure to have, him, having, to have you. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. But before we do, I'd love the audience to get to know you. Can you please introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Um, Well, my name is Cynthia Kane, and I I work with people. I help enhance people's relationships and lives by sharing how to communicate um, in a kind, honest, and helpful way, how to communicate with themselves and others in the world. Um, And I I do this through um, really a practice called intentional communication or the cane intentional communication method which is based in the elements of right speech in buddhism and um, i'm a certified meditation and mindfulness instructor and i've taught over fifty thousand people now how to change the way that they interact in the world and um, that is that is my passion that is what i love to do i love to help people uh, enjoy enjoy their relationships with themselves with their partners, with their children, with their families, with their, you know, colleagues, employers, employees, all of it. So I love it. When when I hear communication, I often immediately think relationship. And you just said that towards the end. Uh, it really is about the relationship you have with yourself and with everyone else, isn't it? Yes. I I believe that to be true. It's so important the way that we connect with ourselves and that really dictates how we you know, connect and show up with others. Now, Cynthia, you have a book out. What's the name of the book? So the latest book is How to Meditate Like a Buddhist. And then there's How to Communicate Like a Buddhist and Talk to Yourself Like a Buddhist. It's a it's a series that three we books. have going here. Three books. <laughs> yeah, three books. Wow, three fantastic. Books. Congratulations. So I want to understand what got you down this path for yourself but before we do that let's do a quick check-in i have a tradition on rent and grow we do a quick check-in where we state our state of being in the moment not five minutes ago where we are right now on a scale of one to ten one being you need cpr (laughs) Ten, (laughs) 10 everything is wonderful uh and then answer one simple question and that is if you could if you could take back something you did in your life, what would that be? So you go first and then I'll go right after you. Okay. Um, so on a scale, where am I right now? I am at a, I'm at an eight. That's where I feel right now. Um, and one thing that I've done that I could take back when I was in second grade, I changed the name on my test paper to someone else's. And I think about that moment often, obviously, as I'm talking about it now. Um, but I, I remember... I remember taking my uh, paper and putting it into, it was like a little um, box on the teacher's desk. And I saw underneath 
Mine was Robin's and Robin was so smart. And so I erased her name and I put my name on her page and her name on my page. How horrible is that? Oh my gosh. Like, well, first of all, I think it's hilarious, but it's what a terrible, hilarious <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> I have apologized, by the way. I, I, wow. It all came out. It all came out. But still, I still to this day, that is one thing that I wish that I could go back and not do. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for your, your, your raw honesty. We love that. That's the whole intent of this check-in is to get us really in that in, in an honest and brutally raw relationship with each other. Okay, so I'm in as an eight myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the one thing I, could, I wish I could take back, um, my son, I think he was four, four or five, uh, and, uh, my sister-in-law was getting married. So I got this beautiful Jaguar for them and I was going to drive them. Mm-hmm. And somehow he locked himself in the car and the call was running and he's playing with the, uh, the drive, um, stick, like, like yeah. he was going to put it. And I'm like freaking out thinking, oh my gosh, he's going to put it in drive or he's going to put it in reverse. And you, it was sheer panic, right. That you mm-hmm. think something horrible is going to happen. And obviously none of that would happen because you have to hit the brakes in order for you to put the thing into gear, but still. um, So, and I was panicking. I finally got in there and I was so uh, scared that I, the way I responded to him Mm. was, was short of, of compassion. Yeah. (laughs) And and I'll never forget that. And Mm. while I've forgiven myself many times for it, I can never forget it. And it's just something I wish I could take back that I can't. So speaking of, you know, living with regrets or living with um, choices we've made, you know, I <laughs> impersonating another person in second grade, yeah. um, you know, there's reasons we do these things. There's reasons we react the way we do, right? Not always colored, not always well thought out, not always mm-hmm. peaceful, right? So yeah. I'm curious you know, you've gone down this path, you've taken a lot of Buddhist principles, which I totally respect. What made you go down this path? And, and what's something you learned about yourself? And how are you sharing that? How is that tied into our, you know, sharing that and helping people communicate better? Can you give me a little bit of context that would help to kind of understand the journey you've gone through so we can share with others as well? Yeah. So um, I, I used to be a horrible communicator. I was very, very passive aggressive, um, very judgmental. I had a lot of difficulty in silence, just really wanting to um, fill the space. And I would fill the space with, you know, a lot that wasn't very helpful. I would gossip a lot and talk badly about others and um, – you know, I, I would look at other people's relationships and inside I would just be like, ah, I really, like, I would love to be able to enjoy my, my relationships, right? My romantic relationships, my friendships, and, um, even be able to walk down the street without, um, judging and seeing others. It seemed that other people were able to do it. You know, I'd look at, people and think, gosh, they have such connected relationships and they're so um, kind to one another and they really like being around each other. And um, 
inside, I really wanted to feel that way. I really wanted to be connected with people and open and um, excited and present. But it just didn't seem like that was a possibility for me. It just didn't seem like that was how I was wired. Um, I didn't know any of this, though. You know, I didn't know that I was, I wouldn't have ever admitted to being passive aggressive or that I would defend myself or explain myself or, um, you know, always have to be right or those types of things. Um, it just was how how I was. And um, I had been, I'd been with my first love for about seven and a half years. And he and I had, we met in college and we really, you know, we grew up together and we had decided to go our separate ways, really believing that the universe would bring us back together at some point when we were ready to come back together. And it did, it brought us back together four years after we had split. And um, I was living in Madrid. He was from Costa Rica, but we met back in New York. And it was wonderful. We had a great conversation. We talked a lot about um, our relationship and what didn't work. A lot of it was uh, the communication piece. And we decided at that time to, you know, be in each other's lives again, to figure out a way to be in each other's lives again. And four months after that, he passed away unexpectedly. And uh, my whole world, I mean, my whole world just changed. Um, it was the worst moment of my life. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what anything was. Nothing made any sense. The world didn't make any sense. I had so many questions. I had so much fear, so much doubt, so much shock, so much everything. It was just just constant overwhelm in my mind, in my body. And um, I was just craving peace. It was like, I just wanted to feel better. I wanted to find a way through all of the emotion and all of the heartache. And everyone was amazing. His family, you know, my family, friends, and nothing was working nothing was working. I just spent so much time on my floor when I lived in New York and just with tissues. And I mean, everything just was so cluttered. And um, I knew that I was going to have to figure it out because nothing was helping. And so it suddenly was like, holy cow, this is my responsibility. My life is my responsibility. I have to figure this out if I don't want to really if I don't want to die along with him. And so I began there and I began searching for a way to feel better. And, you know, I read a lot of books and I took courses and I went to retreats and I did therapy and I had coaches and um, I, I was learning so much that was wonderful, but it was, nothing was actually coming together for me in my body. Like I, I wasn't able to implement or um, really start to live into anything. And um, a friend of mine, she had sent me uh, an email about a meditation and writing workshop that was happening at the Shambhala Institute in New York when I was living there. And I didn't know anything about meditation. I didn't know anything about Buddhism. Um but the description sounded exactly like what I needed, which was about 
really changing the relationship to your thoughts, what was going on in your mind. And that was really what I was craving. I was just craving like space to, I mean, to just be, uh, to feel again or to feel alive or to feel something good. And um, so I went and that weekend changed my world. That weekend changed my life. Um, I learned how to meditate. I, which was the first time I'd ever been by myself with myself and allowed myself to feel all that I was feeling, whether it was guilt, whether it was um, excitement, whether it was fear, whether it was shame, whether it was, you know, just sadness, but not judging it, just letting it be there. And as uncomfortable as it was in the beginning, that became such a grace for me. And then and then I learned the elements of right speech in Buddhism. And so what I had been finding really through like all of the searching that I was on was that it was coming back to communication for me. So I was starting to understand that if I wanted to live in the world differently, I was going to have to change the way that I was living in it. But that then meant that I was going to have to change the way I interacted with it. But so to change the way I interacted with it, that meant I was going to have to change the way I interacted with others. But then to do that, then it was, okay, well, first I have to change how I'm interacting with myself so that I can interact with others in the way that I want to. And so then when I learned the elements of right speech in Buddhism, which are tell the truth, don't exaggerate, don't gossip, and use helpful language, I was like, ah, wow, guidelines, check. This is lovely. Like, this is what I've been wanting to find. And then, you know, it was great in theory. And I was like, gosh, that would be amazing. Wouldn't that be wonderful to be able to speak in a kind, honest and helpful way? Um, and then I woke up the next day being like, okay, let's try it. Let's, let's experiment here. And so that's how it all came to be for me. I started paying attention to how I was speaking to myself and it was so sad. I, it was so it was so sad when I started paying attention to the way that I was talking to myself. Um, and but then once I started this practice and shifting the way that I was connecting with myself, I mean, it really, you know, I was I would walk outside and it just felt different. It, it was brighter. People were kinder. At least that's what it felt like. Right. Um, so so much shifted for me just starting to experiment with a different way of communicating. Wow, Cynthia. So two things. First of all, thank you for powerfully, vulnerably sharing that. That's amazing. Uh, and, and second, what a gift to uh, have found your way, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and the common theme that I've learned, and, and just from even my own personal experience, is that most who do find their way, who do find um, peace with themselves through the process of transforming and growing, have had some major, major catastrophic uh, impact or mm. trauma that yeah. triggered the need, right? Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, we live in a society that is, is, is full of trauma. Even as a country, we have our own trauma in our history, but individuals have a lot of traumas and we are also unfortunately in a time where there's so much focus on just being positive all the time mm -hmm. that people don't allow themselves to feel through yeah. the pain. Yeah. And so in your practicing, helping 50,000 people learn to communicate, learn to be in better relationship, 
what have been some key things you've discovered to help people feel through? Because you can't run away from this stuff, right? How do you get the courage to feel through it? Yeah. Uh, what's, what's been a common thread that you've seen that works in terms of advice, even for those listening, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do I do that? How do yeah. I face that? Right. Um, mm-hmm. What's worked for you? What do you think has worked so far? Yeah. So it really is um, what you're saying, right? Like the, the feeling through of it. And um, so much of what I see is the want to push away the emotion, the want to, you know, shove it down or to explain it away or um, the fear. Drink it away. Drink it drug away. Drug it away. Sex it, it yeah. away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also the you know, just even the fear of admitting to it, um, because, you know, what you had said, right, the idea of things just being so positive. I think some people also have in their mind that if they say something negative, or they admit to the fear, or they admit to the anxiety or the emotion, that it will create more of that, right. Um, And so there's a fear of the negative. And it's really that's where that is where the possibility is um, in that, um, you know, so much of the fear that uh, we have, you know, around difficult conversations, we fear other people's reactions to them. We fear um, what, you know, how it will go without really remembering that the possibility is on the other side, right? It's the difficult conversation that is going to bring more of that which you want into your life um, through that conversation. But in terms of healing through like the emotion itself, it's, it's softening to the emotion. So it's starting to pay attention to what is coming up in the body, right? The sensations that come up in the body. And instead of trying to numb them or push them away to see if you can sit with them, Um, to see if you can sit with the emotion until the charge is no longer taking your attention, right? Um, To put your attention on those places in the body where you feel it, to start breathing into it, to start knowing that once once we say it, once we start talking to it, once we start putting our attention to it, that's that's when it actually has a chance to heal. That's when it actually has a chance to, um, you know, dissipate and not be as charged. Um, and there's so much, gosh, there's so much power that comes from like, that comes from that moment where you feel you cannot, you cannot go on and you do right. Um, and it's, it's sitting in that discomfort. So it's, it's changing your relationship to the discomfort. It's living alongside it. So you start to feel the emotion. You don't push it away. You ask yourself in the moment, you say to yourself in the moment, okay, this is me. I'm feeling something here. I might not know exactly what it is, but maybe I'm feeling heavy or I'm feeling contracted and I feel uncomfortable and, I'm not going to push it away. I'm just going to try and practice right now. What would happen if I just talk to myself a little bit and I say, okay, can, can you soften a little bit, right? Can I soften around what is uncomfortable right now? Can I breathe into this discomfort? Can I label it? Um, And, 
you know, can I sit with it and then come back to the present moment? Does that make sense? Yeah, so powerful. I, I will never forget, I had a friend once who um, suffered terribly from rheumatoid arthritis, an older gentleman. Mm -hmm. And I mean, his, his hands are curled up, right? And mm -hmm. um, I'll never forget him, he used to say, pain just reminds me that I'm alive. Mm -hmm. If I didn't feel any pain, then I wouldn't, be, I would be dead, right? Mm -hmm. So just the context he had around it was so powerful. Mm -hmm. And what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is just change your context around what it is that you're experiencing, you know, get in touch with it. Yeah. Why is it so painful? Why is it hard? What am I feeling? What am I experiencing? What am I fearing? Right. Cause yeah. just from personal experience, part of it is always the, the shame or the, the perceived shame you're going to have if you open up about something, yes. <laughs> you know, the people will suddenly lose respect for you. They won't think highly of you, which is, uh, you know, all nonsense that we tell mm -hmm. ourselves. And I've actually discovered that's rooted on a lack of self-worth, right? We, we, yeah. we try to create this picture that isn't really authentic. And the truth is people see right through it. And what they want is the authentic self that says, you know what, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have the answer and I'm hurting mm -hmm. and it's okay to not be okay. Um, so, you know, I'm not, uh, a Buddhist practitioner, but I know enough and I love and I appreciate one of the major principles, which is, which is the role that attachment or mm -hmm. expectation has, or at least the negative impact that yeah. has on our lives. And I found that to be so true, just even in the relationship I have myself, relationship I've had with friends, with family, with loved ones. The minute I remove expectation, the minute I remove attachment to an outcome, yeah, I can receive people as they are. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's amazing. Like they don't have to change at all. I can yeah. just receive them. them. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like suddenly, suddenly the person you're blaming for all your problems doesn't have to change a thing because you I realize, know. you know, what? if I just don't, <laughs> if I just accept them and I have expectations on them, they're actually not bad. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, is that something you've discovered in helping people communicate and learn to communicate? Is that something that comes up often on again and again in terms of removing expectation? How do you help people through that? Yeah. yeah. So it does come up again and again, the idea of attachment and clinging and, um, you know, because it, it comes up in the want for others to be different, right? The want to fix and to solve. Um, it comes, it comes up with our attachment to who we think we are, who we think we should be, um, the attachment to, right, beliefs that we have that, um, or just the stories that we create that aren't helpful, um, and the attachment to, you know, what we think things are, we think, Emo certain emotions are bad, right? That's an attachment. It's, it, 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 we're attaching meaning, right, to a lot of things. Um, so the practice really for non-attachment, oh, I don't know if you can hear my, um, my street, but there were some cars who needed to communicate with one another. Um, it sounded like chimes. It sounded yeah. like Buddhist bowls. <laughs> See? <laughs> It's all in the way you look at it. Exactly. Uh, 
And um, so the the practice really of the non-attachment is to notice when you are attached, right? So to notice when you are clinging to um, the want for something, to the outcome of something, noticing that you're, um, you know, attached to wanting your children to be a certain way or do a certain thing. Um, and when you start to notice it, you notice it by noticing the sensation in the body, really, um, and becoming it, moving into the present moment and the awareness to be like, okay, I'm forcing here, I'm pushing here, I'm trying to, um, you know, make something work here. Um, and then it's saying, okay, in this moment, what would this moment look like if I loosened my grip? What would this moment look like if I dropped my attachment? Is it possible for me to see this without, you know, through this other lens? Um, and also it's, it's knowing that you can see the attachment, notice it and say to yourself, okay, I'm attached right now. I'm not going to judge myself for that. I'm not going to beat myself up for it. I'm just going to say, I'm attached in this moment and I'm then going to see if I can move it to the side, come back to my present moment, look at my hands, look at my feet, what's my belly doing, I'm going to begin again. Right? Yeah, Cynthia, I hear over and over in, in everything you're sharing the importance of just self-honesty. Just yeah. be completely yeah. honest with yourself because if you start by lying to yourself, you're going to that just continues with everyone else right um yeah we're come we're up on time but i, okay. I did want to ask mm -hmm. uh, as we go away if you had to choose one thing i know there's a number of things that that come into play in terms of working through these tra traumas and such but if you had to choose one thing you want to leave the audience with one thing that time and time again is proven effective to shift your mood and your mindset what would that be? To notice when you are, so to notice your self-talk, right? To notice when you're talking to yourself in a way that is unhelpful, hurtful, that's making you feel less than uncomfortable. And instead of beating yourself up even more for it by saying, why am I doing this? Why do I keep talking to myself? Why am I so stupid? Why is this not working, right? Instead, to see if you can use that as your cue to be kinder to yourself, right? So you hear it, you say to it, oh, I see you. I see that you're not talking so kindly to yourself. Now is my opportunity to come in and say, you've got this. You're doing great. I believe in you. It's, it, this is your opportunity really to start caring for yourself, right? So that's what, that's what I would like to just give is that when you start to notice that, you know, you have all these thoughts that are telling you things that are making you just feel uncomfortable, see if you can talk to yourself in a way that, actually moves you more in the direction that you want to go or has you feeling more of the way that you want to feel not faking it right but really just kind of holding yourself in your arms and being like hey we got this i love it i'm actually taking notes for myself here because what i'm what i've heard is stop listening to your own thoughts and just observe them 
Mm-hmm. And if they're not, if they're not kind, practice kindness with yourself. Yeah. Cynthia, it's been great to have you. Uh, where can people find you? How do they find you? You can find me, uh, my website at CynthiaCain.com, or you can check out my books. On, they're on Amazon, but they're also in other bookstores. So it's how to communicate like a Buddhist, talk to yourself like a Buddhist and how to meditate like a Buddhist. And you can find me on social media as well. I'm on Instagram, cykain one and you can check out my YouTube channel as well. Thank you for joining me today. And until next time, everyone, stay safe.